Welcome to Bridges 2030 Visions with me, James Taylor. In this series, we ask experts and thought leaders from around the globe, how do we build a more sustainable and inclusive world in this decade and beyond? Today, we have a very special guest, the legendary film director, writer and campaigner, Richard Curtis, who's here to talk about why our pensions are actually really exciting. The idea that this money could be applied on behalf of the SDGs, on behalf of people and the planet, was so epic that I thought I would see whether or not it made financial sense. The fact that the people who make the money and provide the jobs have taken the SDGs seriously, you know, huge companies that align their behavior. I think that's been an unexpected success to me. My motto has always been to make things happen, you have to make things. We've been part of a group and movement that has moved, I think, 1.3 trillion into sustainable investment in the course of the last couple of years. Now, many people know Richard from his films, the likes of Love Actually, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Bridget Jones's Diary, Mr. Bean. But he's also the brains behind Comic Relief and Live Aid and Make Poverty History, campaigns that have raised billions of pounds for charity. He's now a prominent advocate of the SDGs, and most recently he's been focusing his attention on pensions through his campaign Make My Money Matter. We caught up to talk about why he thinks pensions are so important and how we go about unlocking these big pools of capital to change the world. So what sparked your interest in the SDGs in the first place? It was 35 years ago that now I think that I started Red Nose Day and then I was part of the Live 8 and make property history campaigns and participated as an individual in the Jubilee Debt campaign. And I think I suddenly realized that my whole sort of uh, life in this area had been based around trying to achieve the MDGs. I hadn't actually sort of specifically campaigned for them. But when I heard that they were going to be refreshed and changed, I thought I'd love to be a you know contributor to making sure that they were as successful and as famous as they could be. I've grown to admire them more and more. I mean, the fundamental thing with the SDGs is they unite the big issues, you know, in terms of development, poverty, justice, and then climate, which was never part of my focus. So they seem to me an excellent thing to be on the table. They seem to me the only plan where you could see that someone had considered all the things that are necessary to give us a better world, how they're interrelated and how they're broken down. And I guess looking back over the period that you've been involved with this, this movement, what's your assessment of progress so far? Well, it's been a mixed bag, you know, and I still, we're just about to do a sort of campaign about half time and talking about how, you know, games are won in the second half change a few tactics, bring on a few new players. So we're definitely not in a sunny position, and particularly the last few years, the cost of living crisis and COVID and the Ukraine have been very tough for the world in general. 
I mean, the things that have cheered me up, in particular, in fact, it's to do with business and their engagement. It's very interesting how business, with its greatest sense of sort of long-term planning, its need to attract consumers and good employees, have, um, I mean, I've heard the Secretary General say business is doing better than countries, as it were. So I think the fact that the people who make the money and provide the jobs have taken the SDGs seriously, you know, huge companies that align their behavior. I think that's been an unexpected success to me because when we were doing Live Aid, I couldn't get a meeting with any business person. They thought I was a dangerous communist. Um, so I think I think business has been good. I think awareness is not bad. I think there has been progress in some areas. Uh, I think some countries have taken the SDGs, you know, to their heart. So what I would say is they're in with a chance. They have not been replaced and they're as useful as they ever were. So let's talk about Make My Money Matter. Why did you get specifically interested in this area? What was it that you thought was so important about it? You know, I made a lot of films for the UN over the first five years, which kept saying, let's turn the billions into trillions. Do you know what I mean? There's a certain amount of money going into making things better. It's not enough. And I never quite knew where that would be. And then I just started to get a whiff of the amount of money that is where the public owns, my money, your money, uh, which is in play in terms of investing in businesses uh, that are going to make a positive difference to the world. So, you know, there's, I think, 51 trillion in pensions around the world. There's there's over three trillion in the UK alone. And the idea that this money could be applied on behalf of the SDGs, on behalf of people and planet, was so epic that I thought I would see whether or not it made financial sense. So it's been, it, it was the size of the pot and the sort of fu- fundamental obviousness that where the big money goes, big changes happen. That got me so interested in sort of pensions and uh, now banks. Do I remember reading or hearing you say once that uh, that you were listening to some Australian doctor talk about the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so true. I mean, it's not quite. It's 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 just off subject, but was the inspiration a woman called Bronwyn King? I uh, was giving a TED talk. Cancer doctor. 35, has her first meeting with her accountant and finds out that three of her top five investments are in cigarettes. So she's actually killing more people every day by her investments than she's saving by her life work. And that extraordinary idea that we've got this massive, as it were, weapon in our armory, which is where we put our money, and that it might be precisely contradicting our beliefs um, struck me as very shocking. And then she became an activist and got a huge amount of money taken out of investment in tobacco. So uh, I'm following in her slipstream. It's clearly a, a very big and complicated challenge. How did you work out, I guess, where to start? You never know where you're going till you start the journey. And But we decided that we would start with pensions. Um, partly is the challenge because they're not exactly people's first port of call when they want to have an interesting conversation. 
when we started, we thought we would be mainly an awareness campaign. Just literally be saying to people, have you thought about the fact that uh, your money could make so much difference? You know, so one of our early campaigns was this one called 21X, which was a very thorough bit of research that said that if you move your pension into a sustainable pension, that's 21 times more effective than giving up flying, giving up eating meat and changing your energy provider. So we just wanted people to think about those things and start making moves. But what happened was that it turned out that a lot of the pension companies had been thinking about this a lot, but they needed that nudge. They needed certain strictures, certain demands, certain deadlines. So it's been extraordinary because we've been part of a group and movement, and that includes other campaigners, government, the pension companies, but that has moved, I think, 1.3 trillion into sustainable investment in the course of the last uh, couple of years. And that doesn't compare well with my time on Comet Relief. I've spent 35 years moving 2 billion. So 1 trillion is, it's, it's almost, it's almost gloomy to think I should have just done this earlier. But so it's been an interesting thing. It's a sort of marketing public awareness campaign. And also, I think, quite a positive one. That's been an interesting thing, you know, and this is in a way where bridges come in. I I came to a meeting where you were presenting lots of the things in which you were investing. And I think I thought sustainable investment was cocoa farms in Kenya. You know, that was sort of my take on it. And suddenly, you know, there was a piece about a company that provides food into schools. And then there was another piece about people who service wind farms. Um, and then, you know, affordable housing, affordable healthcare, lots of stuff inside the UK, as well as interesting things outside the UK. So um, we've very much been saying to people, it's not only a question of not doing certain things, which is all that I was aware of. But it's about the new future that you can, your money could be part of of building. It's not a protest vote. It's an incredibly positive, productive contribution to the future. So what are some of your areas of focus at the moment? Well, we sort of evolve. Pensions remains absolutely priority because it's not the whole pension pot that's moved. I don't think it can be. And so we're trying to get, you know, more products available for people who want sustainable pensions, more companies to offer sustainable pensions as their default position. But also a lot of companies, a lot of pension providers have committed to net zero. And we want to make sure they're doing it. You know, the systems have to be in place in order to, you know, report back. And those are just developing. So we're trying to hold people to their promises. We've taken a particular interest in deforestation, you know, a huge ecological issue. Uh, I don't think people would feel comfortable about the fact that things that they're investing in are huge contributors to that. And the last thing we did was to start talking about the banks, because a lot of banks are still, our own high street banks are still, uh, you know, investing in new, in the expansion of, you know, fossil fuels. And I don't think people would be happy about that. And we did a little film with 
Kit Harrington and Rose Leslie from Game of Thrones, who were playing a feuding couple, but it turned out that they one of them represented high street banks, one of them represented big oil, as it were. And the Rose was saying, why do you never talk about me in public? And it's because the banks don't want you to know that, as it were, they've got smokestacks above their uh, nice banks in the high street. You know, our money, our money that we thought so safe, so positive invested in banks may well be one of the things that's, you know, destroying our planet. You're listening to Bridges 2030 Visions, a series about how we accelerate progress towards a more sustainable and inclusive world over the next decade. So what messages have been the most effective, do you think? What has had the most cut through? Well, partly it's just the common sense of it. I mean, the first message is that's your money and it's not just sitting there. You know, that we that's that even for me, that's just like a first bit of basic information it's almost like saying there's a new room in your house and then we have done some fun things we did a little sort of reality film where we got a huge cart on the size of a house delivered outside someone's house which was for a deforester 3000 or something and they said well I, i haven't ordered this and then the point of the film was to point out that you know anybody with a pension or money in their banks may be paying for huge machines to cut down forests in the Amazon, saying, you know, you're doing all these things which are quite hard work, some people, you know, looking at our flying, looking at what we eat, um, looking at our energy providers, but actually moving your pension. So it's been, you know, some of them have been comical, and most of them have just been trying to find new ways to think about what seems quite a dry issue, but is in fact, you know, one where without that much work from the individual, you can make a huge, help be part of a huge systemic change. And what about the pension funds themselves? How receptive have they been to this conversation? In the whole of society, there's slightly an issue about whether business exists for shareholder or stakeholder. Pensions is the most obvious one where the interests of the shareholder and the stakeholder, as it were, are the same because you inherit a pension down the line into the future. And what is the point of inheriting a pension in a world on fire? So it's kind of deeply logical. So I think that um, what the pension companies did is like take it very seriously. Are there enough things to invest you know, in in this particular area? Will the returns be the same? You know, what I found relaxing about this campaign is all the people we're dealing with are profoundly serious and will not do stuff which is not beneficial to, as it were, people who have money invested in pension holders. But on the whole, it was a question of how much they were willing to, as it were, move their systems and do the necessary work because it's harder work for them, as it were, than it is for an individual who says, I want my pension to be sustainable. There are old, musty and complex systems that need changing. And people had to have a willingness for that extra work. The whole government side of it is, is very complicated. My basic instinct is that it's necessary for trustees of pensions to believe that they are responsible for the state of the planet rather than only responsible, 
you know, for the um, profits of their company. You know, as far as the pension companies are concerned, I think they need to develop an increasing number of pro- of um, products. I think that they need to, we need to get the systems to evaluate, you know, whether the investments are actually consistent with what they're saying there are. But those would be developed fast. I remember going to see Mark Carney and I said, you know, do we know what's good and bad investment? And he said, not quite, but if we wait, we'll wait a lifetime. And, you know, from my point of view, I would just like everybody, every young person to, when they go into work, raise the issue with the chief financial officer of their company and say, well, I really hope our pensions are making a difference to the world. And that's part of this business's contribution. So what next for Make My Money Matter? What are the things that you're going to be focusing on over the next few years? You know, our primary interests are continuing to push forward on pensions and hold people to account on the promises they made, informing the public about the fact that their money in banks, that their choice of bank may be a choice for a, you know, a safer and unsafe planet. And then we are starting to talk to more people globally. And so we're in conversations with campaigns in America, campaigns in Australia, campaigns in Europe. You know, it's such an interesting area because where you work, you know, the people who started working for you, I don't know about you, they probably didn't think they were, as it were, in the front of the charge for the planet. But it turns out that people who control large amounts of money and are in investment funds or in pension companies, they're the kind of necessary heroes of our generation. You know, they're a lot more powerful than, you know, pop stars and TV hosts and movie makers. I think I might put that on my LinkedIn profile. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. With a picture of you in Superman pajamas. <laughs> but it is, you know, it is interesting. I was sitting at a dinner and I'm next to a man who said, I said, well, what do you do? And he said, oh, I'm in charge of a seven trillion investment fund. I mean, that just dwarfs aid. Because, I, you know, I do think on the climate, it is it is a sort of war. And, you know, in the Second World War, everyone was part of it. You weren't allowed to just sit in your village and say, there's a war going on, but I'm not going to, you know, I'll leave that to other people. There's something that all of us can do. And then our, our standard last question, how optimistic are you that we can achieve some of this change at the speed that we need it to happen? The only, you know, the only excuse for optimism is action. I suppose that's what I say. There's no point being a passive optimist. <laughs> and so when when I see the movement that we've made in this area, when you see the generational change, you know, I so admire my children's interest in all these issues, climate, gender, race. When you see some of the technological things that are happening, what I'm optimistic is that we can engage more people, make more progress, and as it were, one thing leads to another. So I'm optimistic there's forward movement. You know, and my motto has always been to make things happen, you have to make things. We've made Make My Money Matter. The pensions are making new products. You know, bridges are making opportunities for investment in brilliant businesses that other people are making. So my optimism lies in the value of action.
You've been listening to Bridges 2030 Visions with me, James Taylor. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, why not like, subscribe, share, download extra episodes, or even leave us a nice five-star review somewhere. Thanks for joining us. 